Well, this morning, I, um, I want to just follow on from what we communicated last week. Who was not in the room last Sunday morning when we shared? Okay, one or two people. Um, so uh, we shared some news with you all, which I deliberately took the whole of the time just to share. And uh, I'm going to come back to that news in a little minute um, and uh, just summarize really what we said um, last week. But I want to back up a little bit, first of all, to bring a context and bring some security to what we mean by a lot of these things that we're talking about. So last week we were talking about where we are connected to in terms of um, uh, apostolic connections. Who's ever come across the word apostolic? Yeah, you've heard that word? It's not a word that is commonly used in places other than in churches or in Christian settings, is it? Um, And uh, sometimes we can... I wonder what we mean by the apostolic. So I wanted to just, for the first few minutes, just break down what do we mean by the apostolic, what are apostles, what are apostolic movements, that kind of stuff. Would that be helpful? Um, Then, just to give you an idea of where we're going, I then want to talk a little bit um, for a few minutes on denominationalism versus kingdom culture. So I want to do a few minutes on that. And then after that, I want to do a few minutes on my expectations for um, who we're joining up with in the coming season. What is this new wineskin that we're looking to be a part of and to create? Is that good? Is that a good flow? Okay. Um, So the apostolic. In 2010, we had Julian Adams with us. And uh, he prophesied over us that we were to be an apostolic church. And not to shy away from using this phrase, as it's what Oasis Church is. Um, He prophesied about apostolic resources, European openings. Um, There will be a new wineskin and a new dimension for the following. The poor and the addicted. For worship. For training. For resourcing. Buildings. In fact, he said here, buildings breaking open. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd lost sight of these, this word from here. It was forwarded to me this week, and I just thought I'd kick off with it at the beginning just to stir a bit of faith. So this word, the apostolic, is in the DNA. It's, it's been prophesied over us as to who we are. Not so much about what we have to strive to be, <laughs> just who we are as a group of people. So let me just back it up from there. Um, One of the things about um, the way that we sometimes look at the Bible and therefore apply what the Bible says can often be shaped by the culture that we are in, the society that we are in. We can read what the Bible says and interpret that through the lenses of our position. Yeah, I was talking to a friend recently, Kian, who um, is uh, one of the leaders at the um, Searsha in Dublin the church that Chris and Rachel Vincent um, led, I believe, uh, now. Chris and Rachel are imminently moving back to the UK and uh, leaving Kean and his team at the helm of the church there in Dublin. And I was chatting with Kean about, um, uh, about this whole subject recently. And he was saying about the difference. He's lived in the UK, in England, and he's also, um, obviously, he's Irish uh, and lived in Southern Ireland um, for most of his life. So he, he can see the differences culturally between the two. And he was saying that the Irish culture is very, very family-oriented, really family-oriented. And so the lens that they read Scripture through and the way that they apply that 
their default, what they look at it through, is through the eyes of family, through community. And in England, he noticed when he lived in the UK that our default, the the lenses that we look at everything through are so through the lenses of organisation, of structured society, and more than that, of hierarchy. So we think in terms of who is the boss. Are we employees or employers? Where do we sit in society? Because the family unit is not as strong a thing in England as it is in Ireland, you see? And so when we read scripture, we can look at certain things and certain words, and we can see those through a lens that we are familiar with. And so what we do when we look at verses that talk about apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists is if we're not careful, we look at those through the lens of the society that we are in. And so we are from a society which is principally organisational, is hierarchical, and so we can look at those things hierarchically. Yeah? Yeah. The danger is that might not be what Paul was inferring. He may not have been meaning that we're to look at those hierarchically. I believe that he was more referring to those things from the sense of, um, from the perspective of a flow, that there's an outpouring that comes from the kingdom of God and it flows through those gifts, through those people, through those things to equip the body of Christ. Okay? So when we look at verses, it's important that we look at it, that in our minds we're thinking, okay, what is the heart of heaven all about? And the heart of heaven. The, the thing that is on the mind of God right from the beginning was unity, was family, was relationship, okay? And so when we come to reading scripture, when we come to looking at verses, we need to look at them and put those, those lenses on and make sure that we're not viewing them through the lenses of the predominant culture, of the predominant values of our society. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go right back to the beginning. In Genesis, Adam and the garden. Okay, so Genesis 2, 7 and 8. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Do you know, we are the only created beings for whom he did that. Um, Dave talked a bit about this stuff a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, we are the only created beings for whom he did that, for whom he physically picked up and he brought us into such intimate contact with himself and he kissed humanity. He literally breathed his life into us and we came alive. We had an encounter with the living God at that point, yeah? Yeah? That's the thing that took place. Humanity encountered God at this point. Um, The Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Can you feel the delight of God? (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, if you've ever seen a child born and you hear that cry, that... (gasps) You get that moment. It's thrilling. It's thrilling. That's what God was going through here with humanity. The Lord God, and a man became a living being. Then it goes on. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man who he had formed. So, God has 
created this life. This life has come about. And immediately he provides a place for this human to belong. Yeah? It is instantly that. There's the sense of creating for it and providing for it. There's a place to belong. Um, verses fifth, verse 15 and then 19. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Out, verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. Get this. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. So right at the beginning, God's heart is that man is to be created and experience life. Yeah? In relationship with him. Then what God does is he takes that man and he creates a home for that man to belong. Then what is he does? What is he does? Then what he does? I don't know who this is. Thank you. Then what he does is he commissions the man to co-create with him, to co-experience life with him, to be linked with him, not just to sit back like we do sitting in chairs looking at the guys doing all the work. No, no, no. God called man to play, called man to be involved, called man to greatness. Okay? If we then, and I like that bit as well, let me, before I miss this bit, um, he put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it. We talk a lot about culture nowadays. Part of the purpose of man going into this garden and getting to play, getting to be involved, is to create a culture, to create the culture with God that is perfect, that is absolutely on the money for what humanity and deity can look like. Okay? Isn't that good? Yes, it is, Peter. Okay. Right, if we then go forward to look at um, what happens with Jesus, the same thing happens. When people encounter Jesus, exactly the same process takes place. And we can read through the Gospels and you can see different accounts of this going on. I did a whole number of preaches recently just from the story of Jesus encountering the woman who was caught in adultery. Remember? And... That woman has the same thing. This woman who is, who is sentenced to death is brought before Jesus. So she has an encounter with the living God. Okay? And then what Jesus does, as he does with all of the different people that they encounter, is he gets rid of the dead stuff. <laughs> he gets rid of that which is killing that person, which is keeping them from life. And then he says, go and sin no more. And with others, he says, he sends them out, doesn't he? And what he's doing is he's, he's encouraging them, he's commissioning them to be involved, to play with him, to be in relationship, to experience. And that's what life is. That's what life in all its fullness is about. So, whether it's Adam or whether it's um, what he experienced or whether it's the people that encountered Jesus, the same thing happens. We have an encounter where breath comes, where life literally comes to us. We receive life. Um, there is then a place for us to belong. 
And then we are commissioned for greatness. Now, we, where do we fit into this? Why am I talking about this? Because we now do what Jesus did and what the Father did right back at the beginning with Adam. We get to do the same thing. This, I believe, is what the apostolic is principally about. There is a verse in 1 John that says, As he is, so also are we in this world. Apostolic churches are churches that live with a revelation of that verse. That what Jesus did when he walked the earth is now what he has commissioned us to do with our lives. And so we get to do those same three things. And that's why um, we're talking about this stuff up front. Um, Number one, we... We encounter God, so individually, so this isn't even just the church, this is you as an individual person, this is you as a believer, as a Christian, this is what it's about, okay? Number one, we've encountered the living God, and so we can create a space, we can cultivate a space, a culture around ourselves, such that as people come to us, they encounter something of God, something of his love, something of his healing, something of his embrace, something of his affirmation of them, something of his receiving of them. Okay? There's something of that. There's something about who we are which brings hope and actually life to people as they encounter us. You might be sitting there thinking, say what? I didn't know that. Let me tell you this morning, if your view of Christianity is just that this is your meal ticket to get out of the hot, fiery flames and into the cushy party place, when you die, you're missing a huge, huge chunk of the purpose of, of, this, of this relationship, this Christianity. We get to be as Jesus was when he walked on the earth. As he is now, we are on the earth. Okay? The end stuff's great too, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, this is something exciting. You are called to bring life wherever you go. You're called to pour hope out wherever you go. Our mission as a church surely is that where we go, we bring hope. Yeah? Do you know, we get people now who are turning up to this church building. We literally, we had a guy last week turned up and uh, um, Jules met him and he said, you know, I knew if I came here I'd be okay. There's, he'd been here before. he picked up food um, from the food bank and he knew that if he came back, somehow things in his life would fall into place. Okay? That's the nature of what we're trying to do here. That's what we're doing. We are creating a space around ourselves where people come and encounter the presence of God. Um, secondly, um, just as um, the Father did with Adam in the garden, one of the purposes of the local church is to cultivate a place where people belong. We want to create a home for people. If you're new to this church, if you're a visitor here this morning, um, then you are very, very welcome. And we have visitors that come on a Sunday and then they don't come back 
and that's fine. You know, we understand that. That's what, you know, I visit churches too. <laughs> um, that's what we get to do. But there's also something about people who come to church and then they come back and then they come back and then they come back. And there has to be a point where you stop being a visitor and actually you become part of a family. Yeah? There has to be a sense of the church growing people coming in and then also not finding that they're part of an organization not that they get you know for some folk they reach a point where they feel like they belong when they've got a job to do now i think actually serving is a really helpful way of being knitted in and getting to know people and all that kind of stuff but principally you don't you don't become part of the family when you pick up a dishcloth or when you put some chairs out you become part of the family when you realize and when we realize that actually we are brothers and sisters And that's the relationship, that's why we talk about church in terms of family. If we look at the model of the Trinity, it's family. It's not organisation, it's family. So that's one of the roles of the local church, and that's why we want to do that. In that place, there is also then what comes, often what comes, is there needs to be some form of healing which takes place. Because if you've gone from being an orphan or carrying orphan-type mindsets or baggage, and then you come into being part of a family, there is a transition that takes place, isn't there, where you realise, you know, I'm part of a family. And so some of the way that I live has to shift in light of that. And so it is healing that comes. And then lastly, we encourage everyone to greatness. So the passion isn't that we want a well-oiled machine for a church, is it? (laughs) You know, every week the chairs are always out. Great church, successful church. Coffee's hot, great success. No, that's not what we're going for. We're not going for that stuff. I want everybody here to see themselves as being commissioned to greatness. You get to play. You are on the field. You're not a spectator sitting in the stands. Um, you get, I don't know if we get to name animals anymore. I guess if we could discover some. Um, I think they've kind of been done, really, haven't they? Um, anyway... Um, so, now, that's, that is the, that's in, what, 10, 15 minutes, that's the apostolic, okay? Is that good? Now, in addition to that, we then have apostolic gifting where individuals, so when it talks in um, Ephesians and Corinthians, it talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and then Corinthians, it talks about um, uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, um, Uh, gifts of healing, helps, administration. Um, When we talk about those things, um, particularly in the Ephesians ones, we're talking about people. We're not just talking about somebody who's doing something. We're talking about who somebody is. Okay? And so God has um, put on people, put in people, intrinsically into who they are, something of the blueprint of heaven. They've seen something of the nature of what the kingdom of God looks like. And they carry that and they have that to pour out to other people. It's literally like they're walking around with a reservoir, a tank, and they can pour that out. You can receive that from them. What does heaven look like? You can look at their life. You can see that and you can receive from that. And that gives birth then to other gifts. Gifts flow from that place. So when I talked earlier on about the apostolic being more about flow than about hierarchy, it's because there is a flow of the resources of heaven that tumble out from apostles and prophets. That's why we talk about churches needing to be based on the apostolic and the prophetic foundation. Yeah? 
Okay. Um, I'm going to move on um, and talk about denominationalism versus kingdom culture. And I'm going to do it in 10 minutes. Are you ready? Brace yourselves. Right, now, with each generation... There are fresh revelations from God. What the Holy Spirit does. In the Bible it says that the Holy Spirit leads us to truth. Yeah? And as the years roll on, what the Holy Spirit does, because this is an active thing. It's not like you've now got the Bible and that's it. What the Holy Spirit does is he says, have you guys seen this recently? Have you seen this? You've been running so far with that thing that you've missed this thing. Let me bring that into focus and let me show you this. And what happens over the generations and over the years is there's a building up of these revelations. And so in recent years, we've talked about things like the Father Heart message. yeah. And so there's been a, a big emphasis. There's been a, quite a move of God across the last 15, 20 years of a Father Heart message. That he is a father and we are sons. Sons, not servants or slaves. Yeah? That's been a big message that's come out. And that, what that is, is that's the Holy Spirit bringing focus to a particular thing, wanting us to see it. Not that the other stuff is then not important. The other stuff is important. But if our pendulum swings so far in the direction of one thing, we miss something that's absolutely fundamental. And so if our pendulum swings so far towards social action and we start getting our identity from what we do rather than from who we are as sons and daughters then actually something's out of sync, isn't it? Something's out of kilter, and we lose sight of the goodness of God. Um, So what happens then as well with that is that requires that we have, each one of us has, an expanding theology, an expansive theology, that we don't just say, this is who God is, I've read my Bible, I've got the gist of who he is, I'm done. And now I know who I am, who he is, and who everybody else is, and we're finished. God is the everlasting God. Um, That means you're never going to know everything that there is to know about him. And so what's required of us is that we live from a place of hungering to know more. Hungering to be led by the Spirit into truth. Because what is true is there is always more. Because if God is everlasting, then there's more, isn't there? And so if you've been a Christian for lots and lots of years and you feel like you've got Christianity down, let me tell you this morning, there's more for you. There are deeper depths for you to go to with God that you haven't yet gone to. And he's really excited to lead you there because there's more. And if there's hurt and there's frustration or there's bitterness, or whatever it is, through circumstances that you've been through in the past, and you've been prayed for, and your body is still sick, there is still healing that's required, there is still broken relationships, I want to tell you this morning, God's not done with you. There is more. There is more. And um, now, what has this got to do with denominationalism, king culture? Um, Jesus talks in the Bible about wineskins. Yeah, you heard this? So the idea, you've got um, wineskins and you put, you have a brand new wineskin for new wine. Okay? And what he says to do is you keep the new wineskin for the new wine. And if your wineskin gets a hole in it, you can't go putting an old patch 
on that wineskin because it will just tear off. Okay? Now, the reason I'm mentioning it is because we need to recognize that what the Holy Spirit is doing in leading us into greater truth is pouring new wine into us. Yeah? And therefore, what's important is that we create new wineskin to contain the new wine that God is giving us. That there is an adjustment to how we do what we do in the light of the revelations that the Holy Spirit leads us into. Yeah? So our structures have to change. Now, the value, which bit is more valuable? The wine or the wineskin? The wine. What happens to a wineskin when it's finished? When it's not useful anymore? Yeah, I heard someone say, yeah, they get cut in half, put in a front garden, and they have pot plants put in them. <laughs> but the, the barrel thing, you know, when it's... When it's um, is it like fortified wines that get made in barrels, like port and stuff like that? I don't know why I'm looking at Adrian. Adrian, tell me. <laughs> um, anyway, the point is... Um, when we're talking about the apostolic and networks and movements and that kind of stuff, we're talking about skins, wine skins. Um, They are valuable to a point. They do have value. But the real value is in the wine. And I don't ever want to end up in a situation where we end up with an empty wine skin that we're really proud of. And one of the problems with denominationalism is that sometimes is the case. If the value is placed on what we've built rather than on what's actually inside, then we have exactly that. We have an an empty wineskin. The problem with that is that the Holy Spirit's moved on. He's, He's gone. And... Now, he's really, really gracious. And actually, Jesus talks quite a bit about, you know what, the old wine is really good. And um, there is value in that, and the Holy Spirit works through that. Um, but um, we are keen to go with where the Holy Spirit is leading us um, in this context. So, in terms of denominationalism, um, Paul Manwaring, I played a little clip, video clip last week from Paul Manwaring, who oversees Global Legacy. He made this statement. Culture is as significant today as doctrinal statements were to denominationalism. And I didn't really understand that when I first heard it. So if you don't, then that's, you're in good company. Um, culture is as significant today as doctrinal statements were to denominationalism. Let me just explain denominationalism or doctrinal statements. Let's say we're a group of people that have all discovered God. We're all believers and we've come together and we've gone, yes, this is great. And then we get on with worshipping God and it's all good, yeah? Then what happens is you guys over here, you realise that actually there's something about God and there's something about what we're teaching that actually you don't quite agree with. And so we talk about it and so what we do is we then make a, a, um, a doctrinal statement. So doctrine being the things that we believe um, in our in our Christianity, yeah? So we make a doctrinal statement. We believe this. So you guys say, well, we believe this. And then the guys over here say, well, we believe this. So what we do is we make a statement which effectively builds a wall between us. You guys are over there. We're over here. So what you guys do is you get busy going off and finding lots of other people who believe what you believe. And you go, yeah, this is great. And then we over here, we do the same thing. 
And then what happens is we over here, we then find another thing that we disagree on. And so we build another wall between us. So then we have three. And if you look at church history, what's happened is that um, after Jesus um, ascended, the apostles then wrote down the rest of the Bible for us, which is great. And then the gospel went out right globally all around the world. They took it all over the place. Brilliant. First thousand years worked like a charm. After a thousand years, there was then a big division in the church. Matt's killing himself laughing. There's division in the church, okay? East-West split. You can look it up. There's a schism in the church, okay? And you've got this split that takes place. First one, thousand years, and there's this divide. 500 years later, there's then another one. Reformation happens. Another divide. Protestantism, Catholicism. After that, it's gone on and on and on and on. There are now over 33,000 denominations, movements, globally. 33,000. Now, you may not think that's a bad thing. In some ways, it's not a bad thing, because actually it's good, and actually if you look at the way the Holy Spirit moves, it's, you know what? He just goes in all sorts of different denominations and movements. He doesn't respect the boundary lines that we like to set up. He goes where he wants to. He blows where he wants to. Um, and actually, if people are growing in knowledge and love for the Lord and for other people in those different settings, then I'm not knocking it at all. However... I don't think that it's the ideal because in John 17, Jesus prays this. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their words. This is Jesus praying to the Father and he's talking about us. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, even as you Father and in uh, sorry, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer is that we will be one. Jesus is going to come back for one bride, not one bride divided into 33,000 sections. This is a challenge. Um, another point is that and this is why I'm excited about this Jesus' prayer is going to be answered this isn't going to be one of those ones that (laughs) you know it's going to be answered because Jesus is God so he's going to get his way he's going to get his one bride we are going to be one the other thing that's crazy and this is something that I think that the church has missed for the last 1500 years it would appear that God has already given us what we need in order to be one. We already have what it takes to be united, to be one. Listen to this, the next verse. The glory which you, um, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. We've already got what it takes to be one because he's put his glory upon us. What does that mean? It means that as he is, so are we. It means that we are united with Christ. It means everything that he's got is ours. Okay? 
Um, what if it was possible for us to be part of an apostolic movement that put a greater emphasis on kingdom culture than on doctrinal agreement? I'm not saying that doctrine is not important. Doctrine is important. It's important to have clarity on what we believe and why we believe it. But when Jesus talked, and um, you can look back, there's a preach that I did on this. When Jesus talked in Matthew 10 about unity, he said our unity would have to be in him alone. And he said, do you remember he said said something really shocking? He said, if you think I've come to bring peace, then you're mistaken. I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. What he means by that is if you build structures and you, uh, you find unity in anything other than in Jesus Christ, then he will tear it down. Because he's absolutely committed. This has got really serious in here, hasn't it? He's absolutely committed to having his one bride. And that, that one bride will be in him. And so our unity, our, the thing that makes us one is that we are in Christ. That's the conviction. And we can have all sorts of other views on all sorts of other issues about men and women and whether the bread should be leaven or unleaven or whatever the situations are that people have squabbled over for the last X thousand years. We can have all those arguments that we like, but ultimately... And it's important that local church families understand what they believe. Yeah, it's important. Like we do at home, our kids say, what do you think about something? And we tell them. And they get a confidence in that. And they know where they stand. And they know what this family is about and what we look like and what we're going for. And that's brilliant. And you need that. And that's why local church is absolutely vital. Because local churches have local... um, You have specific mission and DNA and heart and all of that that makes us a church body. Makes us who we are. But it's broader than that. Because actually what makes us one with the bride of Christ is that we are in him. And so, um, we sang earlier on, delirious lyric, I just love it. What if all the streams flowed as one river? And with all that's gone on with New Frontiers over the last three or four years in talking about um, taking it from the first generation movement to a second generation movement, there has been an increasing need for clarity about doctrine and so there's been, you know, the run-up to that period of time, about five years ago, I think it was, they brought out a booklet with the 17 values. And so you could tell a New Frontiers church because they adhered to these values. Now, as I say, I'm, I think values are really important, and I think doctrine's really important. The problem is that when we start to say, to impose this is what the values are, to be a part of something that starts to sound to me more like an organisation than it does actually a family with interlinking relationships. It starts to sound more to me like one big church with lots of small congregations. Yeah? Um, You can disagree with me, it's absolutely fine. Um, So, um, there has been a hesitation for me in signing us up to, and for us as a team, as we've worked this stuff out and we've chatted it through, there's been a hesitation to be able to sign up to one of these, the new um, uh, second-generation spheres. They call them spheres. Um, uh, There's been a hesitation to do that. 
Because there's a part of me that is saying, I need to be a part of answering Jesus' prayer. And, and I know that actually New Frontiers would wholeheartedly agree. Um, I know lots of New Frontiers church leaders, and they work really hard locally in building relationships with other local churches that are from different streams. Yeah? So I'm not wanting to tread on that at all. Um, however, um, uh, there's been a conviction I've had um, and that we as a team feel that we want to pursue something which is not about doctrine in terms of doctrinal statements. We want to pursue something which is actually about bringing the kingdom to bear on the earth. Because what kingdom does, when we put kingdom culture higher than doctrinal statements, is actually all those lines that I talked about before, those, those barriers that all exist what happens is those things come down. Because, and as they come down and we realise actually we're all brothers and sisters, as we realise that um, Jesus loves all of us, that our significance and our value before him is equal, as we realise that, suddenly we find we're back in the same room. And once we're back in the same room, we can talk again. And so it's possible to talk to somebody who formerly would have been part of another denomination, the other side of the line, another movement. And then what's crazy is it's possible to hear the heart of what they're saying and then see something of God that they've seen that I haven't seen. Do you see? And then what you get is this kind of cross-pollination thing that goes on. And what that, I believe, grows, and if you're into horticulture, you'll agree with me, I believe that produces healthy soil, produces healthy plants. And so, that's our conviction. (laughs) Um, So, as I said last week, and if you were not in the room and you haven't picked it up already, um, we are not going to be signing up to one of the next New Frontiers um, uh, spheres. Uh, We've been working for the last 18 months with Catalyst, who are one of of those. And um, uh, we've been building relationships with Simon Holly, who leads the UK side of that now. Um, So we've been doing that. But our conviction is that we want to start building far more um, strategically, intentionally with Global Legacy. And it did reach a point where we were building like that with both of them. And um, as Simon has now been given the freedom to run with what he wants to run with, um, he said to all of us who are in the room, the leaders of the the different churches, he said, look, um, we want to get on now and run in the direction that we're going in. and uh, so one or two of us have chatted, obviously, with him that have got links with Global Legacy and with um, one of the New Frontiers spheres. Um, and so as we were chatting, Simon said to me, well, look, do you think you can run wholeheartedly with both? Do you think you've got the capacity for that? Because there's only, obviously, so much time. So that was a fairly good question <laughs> to, to ask. And I think the honest answer is no, actually. I don't think it's possible. Um, So I want to be really clear, Um, we will no longer be known as a New Frontiers church, we will not be part of the the catalyst sphere, Um, uh, and I guess in truth the New Frontiers name is going to die out, 
um, because they're not, there isn't a, um, a central office for New Frontiers anymore. Um, it's going far more down this, this route with the, the spheres. So there's local, there's leadership for different regions around the globe. Um, and uh, so that the New Frontiers name gradually will, will die out. Um, uh, it sounds a bit sad, doesn't it? Assigned to the history books. Um, I did talk quite a bit last week about how much actually I've loved New Frontiers. Um, and one of the things I'm really grateful is New Frontiers has got me to this point. Because I grew up reading stories um, and experiencing the Holy Spirit in such a way that it has put such a hunger, and I know this is true for lots of people in the room, it's put such a hunger in our hearts that, that we want to know what the new wineskin looks like. And what Terry started all those years ago was actually a new wineskin. He wasn't going for a denomination. He wasn't going for something that was going to stand for all time. He was just looking for an expression. He was looking for something that was going to contain what God was doing at that point in the earth. And I believe that actually what we're doing now is simply doing that in our day. Um, and I think that that's why... Um, we feel right about it. Um, so some quick questions then. Um, are we burning our bridges with new frontiers? Um, in, in the official sense, yes. We are not going to be part of new frontiers um, administration-wise, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, that is true. However, um, we do still have lots of friends, relationships with folk in new frontiers churches, and that will continue. Um, in fact, um, and this is slightly ironic, um, there is a guy in Scotland, in Glasgow, called Andy Merrick, um, and uh, we've got, um, we're planning, we've invited him to come in uh, and spend a weekend with us, probably in the spring. Andy Merrick leads a New Frontiers church <laughs> in Glasgow, um, but he also oversees Global Legacy for Scotland. So, go figure. Um, uh, these things are not neat and tidy. This, this, you know, this is the Holy Spirit speaking, and this is man scratching his head and thinking, I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got, with what I know. And so for some guys, that looks like being part of New Frontiers and part of something else. Um, uh, for, and actually for years, there were churches in New Frontiers that were part of the Baptist Union as well as New Frontiers. So this is nothing new. Um, we've, we've then got um, uh, other churches who, like us, have decided, you know what, we want to intentionally run with these people in this direction, and so we're going to do that and make that clear. Um, and it, to be honest, we got to the point where really Simon was asking. He was saying, look, which way? He was pushing us to make a decision, um, provoking us to do that, because he knows that actually it's healthiest to run with where your conviction is and uh, um, to do that. So... Um, so yes, relationships with um, some New Frontiers um, guys will continue where we've got relationships. Um, Julian and Katia will be with us in November. I finally managed to pin them down on a date um, after much to and froing, so they will be with us. Um, they are currently at King's Arms, although they're looking to relocate back to South Africa as well next year. Um, so uh, it's all change around the place. Um, uh, how developed is the local global legacy gathering? So uh, last week we saw a video clip of Paul Manwaring, who is the guy that's been asked to oversee global legacy. Um, and so that's on a global scale. 
Um, now, within that, obviously, if this is relationships, this is about relationship, it's very difficult to have a global relationship like that. Although I've got to say the 21st century technology makes that way more possible than it's ever been before. Um, and there are some phenomenal resources, and we can access people that are all over the place, which is great. But there needs to be local relationship. There needs to be a local context, doesn't there? So um, for the last 18 months, um, I've been travelling over to Kent and meeting up with numbers of other leaders who are part of Global Legacy, so part of this network. Um, and we've continued to do that. We've literally just got to the point now where there's probably half, and numbers-wise, um, each month... Um, uh, and this has grown as well. So at the beginning of the year, there was about 50 people at that. Um, uh, now there's probably 100. Um, so, that's, and that's, so they're predominantly leaders from various churches, uh, various backgrounds. Some churches are Anglican churches. Now for those guys, it's an interesting journey because they're looking to, many of them are staying part of the, the Church of England, but are also running with the Global Legacy stuff as well. So they've got a real, a real funny two-horse race to ride. Um, and then there's others as well. There's some independent churches in there. There's a, a few New Frontiers churches that are part of that. Um, so it's a real mix of different people that are coming together. Uh, we've just got to the point now where we're pulling together a core team of, um, uh, of guys that have been running this together, have built some relationship, and are now wanting to start to build something strategic. Um, one of the things that I've been talking to Pete Carter about, who's um, kind of hosting these gatherings, is it's all very well to talk about things being not built around doctrine, but if we're talking about building a new wine skin for the new wine, there still has to be a skin, doesn't there? If you don't have a skin, then you've just got wine all over the floor. <laughs> you, you need something to put it in. So whatever we're gonna, it's going to look like, it's got to look like something. So there has to be intentionality behind it in producing that. And so we're at that point of literally putting those bits together to say, what, what is this going to look like? Um, and in truth, it's not that developed yet at a local level. Um, but what there is, is um, quite a clarity about actually what we're all shooting for, which is that we want to see the kingdom of God break out in the earth. We want to see revival. We want to see reformation come to our nations um, where there is such moral decline. Have you noticed the shift over the last few years? You know, literally the last 10... I mean, it's, you know, I'm only 36, but life has changed a lot since I was at school. Um, and obviously we've got young kids that are just coming up through the school years now, and we're just seeing the differences are huge. Um, obviously technology has moved on a million miles in the last decade, and so that is affecting the morality of our nation like never before. There has to be the church standing up for truth in the midst of that. And there has to be a place where the power of God is demonstrated. One of my convictions is that the power of God has been largely forgotten, lost over the years. I'm not saying totally, because obviously that's not true, because of the increase of God's government and of his peace, there will be no end, and the Holy Spirit is living and active and getting on with the job. 
However, the expectation amongst us as believers for God's power to break out, for healings, for all of these different sorts of things, for supernatural stuff, has dropped. One of the things that I love about what's come out of Bethel and out of the heart of Global Legacy is that there is a desire to put the power back in. There is a desire to see the dead raised. I have lived for too long just reading the books, reading Wigglesworth, reading Catherine Coleman, reading about John G. Lake, reading about the revivalists, reading about Whitfield and Wesley, reading the Bible and seeing these incredible people. And right from the start, and I remember talking about this three years ago, what would it look like for us as a church of people to realise that the same power that flowed through all of those amazing people flows through us. What would it look like for us to take seriously what Robert Hodgkin said a few weeks ago, that we are shifting from a Moses generation to a Joshua opportunity, where in Moses' generation it was the one, it was the single leader that was raised up to lead the people. And that's what I've just mentioned. You know, there's the one Smith Wheelsworth, there's the one um, William Brannan, there's the one. But what would it look like if a whole community had the conviction that we carried that power. And so we want to do a lot more provoking around what it is to live with power. Um, we set up this whole series on love, freedom, honour and power and we're taking the rest of time working through around and around those themes, going, God, what do you want to say to us about those things? And we haven't hit the power one yet, have we? But we're going to hit the power one. And partly, um, I think the timing is great because we couldn't yet hit the power one before this stuff was clarified. There is a flow to this which has had to happen. And I know for some it's been frustrating. For some of you it's actually quite a dull thing because you came into this church and you really weren't that fussed about whether it was New Frontiers or you know something else. It wasn't important to you. What was important was that you were seeing something of this family and you wanted to join us, and that's great. Um, so in a way, I'm sorry that there's been <laughs> the need for this process. Um, but the truth is there is need for the process um, to work through. We want this to remain a safe, stable place, a place that's secure, where you know that actually our feet are on the ground, where you know that actually things like accountability are still really important to us. It's important that you know we as an eldership team are submitted to people, that we listen to the voice of others speaking in, um, so that when if, if there were ever concerns, this is another thing. I, what I'm going to do is put out a sheet just with some simple questions on and answers. I said I'd, I'd do this after last week. So f- simple things like, actually, if you had concerns about the church... It's good to know who, who could you pick up a phone or who could you drop an email to. It's good to know that, isn't it? And so we will make sure that you have that sort of information. Um, I'm just about done, I think. I'm certainly out of time. Um, one of the things that I would like us to do, and um, I'm even happy to start this morning. I know we're out of time. But one of the things that I want us to start doing is I want us to start praying for healing every week there is something that's happened where lots of us around the room for the last few years have been growing in our understanding that power exists that healing is for today that we're hungry for this stuff and it's a bit like the boat the disciples in the boat analogy we know jesus is out there and we can see peter walking on the water and having a a blast and we know actually it's for all of us but yet lots of us are still sitting in the boat And we keep saying to ourselves, yeah, we should really get out there. That looks like fun. 
that looks great. I'm hearing lots of testimonies about cancers going and about um, you know, car, cars getting fixed, uh, just crazy stuff. Um, lives being restored, marriages being healed, bank accounts being filled with money, jobs coming. Okay? We are seeing some of this stuff. We've got one or two Peters that are out walking on water and having a blast. But my conviction is, guys, there's a party going on on the waves. We get to go and ride waves, all of us. We're called to that. We're called to, to be surfers. Where am I going with this? So I want us to um, get used to this. I want us to start praying for the sick. So somehow I want us to adjust them our morning so that we finish earlier than this so that there is time to pray for the sick. And even if we've got to go and collect our kids, that you know there will be a team of people that are here who are here to pray for anybody who wants to be prayed for and people that are literally gunning for seeing sickness healed, seeing lives restored. Does that sound exciting? Can we stand? Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you're the one who leads us. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you lead us straight into the arms of Jesus. That's what your word says. You lead us into greater truth greater revelations of truth, of what truth is. And Lord, this is simply our response to that. We want to be so led by you, Lord. And we want to honour where we've come from. We want to honour New Frontiers. Lord, we want to just shout your blessing down on all of the spheres with what they're running with. Guys that are running actually with this same heart in where they're at. Lord, for guys that maybe haven't seen this, maybe guys that actually need you to minister to you, uh, minister to them through the old wine. Jesus, I want to thank you that you love to do that. You love to do that. Lord, we want to just um, bless every denomination across our nation. Lord, we want to bless the denominations across the globe. Lord, where there are genuinely believers that are running after you and your purposes, Lord, we just bless them. But Lord, I want to thank you that your bride will be one. And Lord, we want to position ourselves to be part of the answer for that. Lord, in our small way, in our little corner of the globe, Lord, for what you've called us to in our sphere of influence, Lord, we want to bring your bride together. We want to see unity Lord, we want to have clarity about what we believe and why we believe it. Lord, but we do want to see unity. And um, so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be sparking us around this room. Lord, I pray that expectations of what you want to do are going to rise in this coming season. Lord, our conviction is that it's right to run in this direction. Lord, we want to get up close and personal with people who are raising the dead, who are seeing the lepers healed who are seeing the demons flee. Lord, we want to see what it's like to be cleansing those who so need your cleansing. And Lord, we thank you that you use us already. We thank you for all you've done already. Lord, we thank you for the testimonies. We thank you for the provision of jobs. We thank you for the provision of um, love and um, uh, affirmation that comes around this church, that people would even come to this building because they know it's going to be okay. And Lord, we want to declare an increase to this stuff. Lord, we want to pray for the sick that are in this church. Lord, I want to pray for Joe Webb right now. Yes. Jesus, we lift her to you right now.
God, would, we, would you um, so do a work in her body that her body would start to absorb the B12 that it needs to? We come against the barriers that are um, inhibiting that, prohibiting that. We say, would you do a creative miracle in her with her blood system, with the way that that stuff works so that she would be well? We declare your peace over her right now in the name of Jesus. Jesus, we've got a, a, this feels like a line in the sand morning for us. Lord, we are going forward from here. Lord, we are going forward. We are children of the light and we want our light to shine into dark places. That's it. We want your love to be made known. We take your love into a world that's largely loveless. Jesus, would you enable us to love deeper and richer? Would you, even in, in amongst us now, I pray that there would be a unity in this church where we would fall in love with one another in new ways. There would be such a family feel. There'd be such a sense of um, my success is your success. When I'm hurt, you're, you hurt, you feel it. There'd be such a sense of us laughing together and crying together. There'd be such a sense of us knowing more of what this looks like. That we would see heaven in us, in this church. Lord, and that we would live with a conviction that there's an increase. That there's more. That there's more. Lord, we pray for more folk to come and join this church. To come and be part of this message. Who want to take part in this adventure. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.